Support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. There may not be any foods at all that have been eaten at least once by every adult human alive on Earth today, but if there are, the potato is a strong candidate. Today we're in Kevin Coe's kitchen to cook his potato passion, French fries. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name's Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. Potatoes might be everywhere today, but their history outside their home turf is incredibly short. For five to 10,000 years, the domesticated potato never traveled very far from its birthplace around Lake Titicaca in the high Andes between Peru and Bolivia. Part of a huge family of closely related tubers, Solanum tuberosum was a staple crop for the inhabitants of the area. It grew at altitudes far above corn in practically any kind of soil, and the yield per acre was typically higher, especially in bad years. The food surplus made possible by the potato eventually built the Inca Empire that came to dominate the west coast of South America until it was destroyed by the Spanish in the 1500s. Among the loot from the Spanish robbery was this curious tuber. They brought it back to Europe with them, where it initially failed to generate any interest. Many people suspected it was poisonous. Some thought it encouraged lustful thoughts. Conservative Russians called it the devil's apple. The French tried to make bread with it and were unimpressed. Scottish Protestants consulted the Bible, found no mention of potatoes, and refused to plant it. For perhaps the only time in culinary history, depending on whom you credit with the invention of whiskey, the Irish led the way. According to legend, the first potatoes planted in Ireland washed ashore with the wreckage of the Spanish Armada in 1588. However they arrived, it was quickly realized that the potato grew better than any other bulk crop in the poor soil and far northern climate, and it shortly became not just the staple crop of the island, but nearly its only crop, which led to disaster in the 1840s when potato blight, with the assistance of the English, devastated the country. The Germans picked up on potatoes quickly, too, although they mainly grew them to feed prisoners. One such inmate, a French POW called Parmentier, developed a taste for them in the 1700s. When he got back to France, he became a one-man potato marketing council, and his name is still attached to many of France's most beloved potato dishes. As the 19th century progressed, the potato gained converts across Central and Eastern Europe. 
It established a strong foothold in Africa. Europeans brought it back across the Atlantic to North America, which had never seen it before. And in the 20th century, it's even made significant inroads into Asia. It is, of course, one of the very few staple crops that reliably does well in Alaska. Not bad for a plant that was unknown outside a small area of the Andes until 500 years ago. Well, uh, I see this bag of potatoes. It's kind of hilarious that for my last show, I'm doing the, the topic is potatoes because like potatoes are, are the, the starch that we in America that I'm most indifferent to only because like I kind of feel like the only way to make them really good is to either French fry them or put a ton of butter on them. <laughs> like I don't feel that way about rice. Like I love to sit, I can eat a bowl of rice and be totally happy, you know, or like or corn tortillas or whatever, but potatoes. I have a hard time with potatoes. I think potatoes for me were something, in my family, it was always about eating rice. Like, if the rice was the constant thing. Like, yeah, um, same, same for us. But we're not here to talk about rice, we're here to talk about potatoes. Well, you know, this is another kind of starch. This is another kind of starch, and we're gonna be doing a really similar thing. We're gonna be playing with the effects of rinsing starch off of what we're doing here. So we're gonna get potatoes, and they're gonna be starchy, and a really essential part of my process is actually uh, soaking off some of the starches. Okay, uh, so we're making, uh, I should say right off the bat, we are making French fries. We're making pommes frites. Pommes frites, we Dutch, are. Dutch style pommes frites. Dutch style, so you, you were telling me about this, so you actually, like got lectured on how to make proper uh, fries from was it was it when you were in Holland or in it was, a, it was in the late nineties. I was a an exchange student to Amsterdam, and on the airplane over, I was reading the KLM uh, flight magazine, and there was a there was a recipe on there for how to cook pommes frites. It was like you know all these favorite Dutch recipes. I was kind of like, yeah. oh, what's that going to be? So you know, I was going to the Netherlands. I was going to have an apartment for my first time. And uh, these were kind of like the recipes I wanted to try out when I was there. And so um, I was going to art school and making fries. I was at an, in my first little opening over there, trying to make my little Dutch style fries. And my instructors were like, that's not how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so they kind of took me under their wig and taught me how to make fries and make art. And, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I ended up in Homer in, in a way. You know, it's like my first thing I did in Homer was making making these fries. I made fries all throughout college, at parties and events, uh, all throughout um, going to school in New York, in so Brooklyn. fries basically gave you your entry into the world. Oh man, even, even <laughs> uh, fries gave me even my first time playing accordion. There's oh, wow. like, it's like, there's a picture, I, I need to find you some pictures, there's a picture of me playing accordion at a punk rock show. I was just like the guy in the closet making fries <laughs> in a weird Brooklyn loft party, <laughs> making all this steam and somebody, you know, I had a little tiny toy accordion. Uh, it's my first rock and roll moment too. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so I came to So really I should, I, should give, I should give fries a lot more respect that, you know, potatoes aren't like totally boring. They're actually, they're pretty punk rock. Uh, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, I just love fries in all their forms. I think maybe, but my favorite form is, uh, I, uh, in the Netherlands, one of their, I love street food of all kinds. And in the Netherlands, one of the best kinds of street foods is their fries, their pommes frites, and they serve it up to you in a, in a cone, a newspaper cone. Yeah. Uh, and they just jam a bunch of fries in there and they give you a little fork tiny bamboo fork, kind of like a giant toothpick, and 
a couple dabs of mustard and different kinds of creamy sauces. It's this oily, crackly, crunchy mess. Sounds delicious. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, always tried to replicate that in, in Brooklyn. Yeah, um, so came to Alaska, and that was just one of the first things. Just hanging out with my buddies at Seaside Farms, I'd come over to Alaska on a with the same fry buddies. Um, oh, you had like a fry posse? We try. had a fry posse. We totally had a motorcycle fry posse <laughs> gonna, out of Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> Travel the world spreading the gospel of the fry. Yeah, man. Uh, that's, I guess that's uh, inadvertently what ended up happening. <laughs> it was not the plan. So is there a difference between Dutch fries and like Belgian fries? Or are they, uh, do they like fight each other? I am not sure, and I would love to go and travel and find out, uh, you know, find out what the difference is myself. Uh, so we're making Dutch fries today, though. I think so. Well, All these, right. you know, they've like by transitive property, these have actually become Brooklyn fries. But, oh, you know, okay. <laughs> these are. But well, I guess technically now they're Homer fries. Now, and now they are totally a Homer <laughs> fry. Yeah, because uh, you know this is uh, the first thing. One of the most, you know, key ingredients to this whole thing is Alaskan Yukon Gold potatoes I mean, from Matt Cavalli. It's one of the. One of the things we can do here is grow potatoes. It's the first thing I was like, it's like, I want an Alaskan thing. You know, the store is like, yeah, I love our potatoes. So well, let's get at it because those potatoes are old. And, you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we better quit talking and get. So do you. So I know that you're doing this at home, but like in the uh, in the professional world, when you're when you're professionally making fries, how do you how do you, do you have the, the fry? The machine that's mounted <laughs> on the wall where you put the potato in because that's how I always made them in restaurants. Wow, uh, no, oh, you know, you I we okay, so we did try to make them professionally, but professionally didn't work out very well for us. Uh, we, we came to uh, when I first showed up here in Homer, uh, it was we landed out at the base of the Homer spit. At yeah, the I remember Village. that. You when you were telling me about this, I was like, really, that was you because I remember that. I remember that, but I, I and I, I was living across the bay at the time, so I wasn't really in town very much. And every time I'd come into town, I'd be like, I should stop there one day. And then I never did because I've never had enough time. Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> well, there was this there was this old timer down there, Dale. Dale was his name, and we literally just three dudes on old motors or three dudes on motorcycles showed up, and he took us in and barbecued us some meats, and somehow he he just invited us to to start something on his land. <laughs> And he had a whole bunch of packing pallets, and, and we knew fries, and we were, you know, three guys fresh out of art school. And so we just bailing wired up all these packing pallets and made a little structure. We were uh, industrial designers and graphic designers and street artists um, and filmmakers. And so without any nails, we, we put this structure together out there, you know, under our very liberal road-inspired uh, rules of... Uh, reading of the DEC rules, <laughs> we applied as a, a, a applied as a traveling exhibition of art, oh. which exempt, which was supposed to exempt us from proper DI, uh, DEC. <laughs> uh, that's clever. Uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> did it did it not pan out in the end? It didn't. You know, we we uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just you know we were kind of like oh we'll just try to make that work. Um, but yeah, so we didn't last very long before the DEC closed us down. But Ooh. for a while, you know, we were making fries, our, our Brooklyn fries. You know, my friends from Brooklyn were sending us weird little pieces of street art that we were sticking up around the fry shack. There was two things you could order, which was a giant cone or a bling bling cone. And the bling bling was pretty big and came with a free phone call to Brooklyn because we had a, a Brooklyn Yellow Pages there. Oh. And uh, all kinds of tomfoolery. And we were trying to also build the uh, the largest artificial Christmas tree west of the Mississippi. With, oh. with uh With fries? No, with uh, wire spools, giant wire spools. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd stack them and paint them green. 
Oh my gosh! Did you so succeed? It's pretty tall. It was pretty dangerous. Yeah, we succeeded. Man, there was uh, there was all these different weird artists just started appearing. There was a chainsaw artist that came over and started hanging out under the Christmas tree, making his stuff. There was uh, a lady that filled up that little cabin there with anime. I don't know. She'd be like, I don't know. There were all these like weird little road people that just made cool art. They just gravitated to the fry art. Yeah, man. So we're using are these uh, are these russets or are these Yukon golds? I am hoping that these are Yukon. I go for Yukon gold. Do you? Um, because I know there's a major debate in in Fryland, you know. What? Tell me. Well, about russets versus you know anything else, pretty much. Like I know McDonald's uses russet, and that's what like some of the fry people are like. Oh, you got to use russets. I think because they're looking for that specific texture on the inside, you know, where it's like super, super fluffy. Mm-hmm. But is that, what's your, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? I think we fried the heck out of it. One of the main, <laughs> and we fried the heck out of it so bad. It's really just about the frying. Oh. <laughs> but but the, this potato is like big and chunky and like holds it, holds it together through like all the different processes. What, what's, what's our end goal French fry here? Is it, is it like that shoestring McDonald's style? Is it something bigger? Is it... What are we looking for here? We're looking for um, big, irregular, hand-cut fries. Okay. So they're going to be almost like steak fries in sort of like dimension, but okay. you know, a lot thinner. But the main thing about Dutch-style fries is that they're supposed to be fried three times. Okay. In three times. Three times. Ooh, supposed to be, okay. or, or at least, or <laughs> at least two times, uh, and yeah. that's what makes it crispy. Like the yeah, first time yeah, is yeah. to cook it, and the second time is to make it really crispy. Yeah. And the Brooklyn special, which was our special, was that we were triple fried. We would Ooh. fry it a third time to make oh, it wow. super crispy. Because so, if, if, I mean, if two's good, three must be better, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. And, you know, you got to come up with a good marketing thing. So yeah. it's like our fries are triple fried. Oh, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Lucky Strike being toasted. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. All right, so you're putting some salt into a pot. I'm putting some salt into a pot. I'm just going to fill up a big pot with salt and water. And the goal, so we're going to cut these fries apart. We're going to cut these potatoes apart. And then we are going to soak them raw into the salt water. Okay. And that, what we're doing is, when you cut potatoes, when you cut potatoes open, and that's probably the most dangerous part of it, guys. You have to, we're going to do that really slow. But they're kind of slimy. Potatoes are kind of slimy when you cut them open. And yeah. um, a big part of what makes these delicious is to soak them in the salty brine. We're basically just kind of brining, right. uh, brining the potatoes before we, before we fry them for flavor and for. Well, then you got to rinse the salt off. I mean, the uh, the starch off. Yeah, this is this is just rinsing off. Out yeah. uh, on the base of the spit, we would fill up five gallon buckets with salt water, yeah. and then just like cut a lot of fries yeah. and just like soak them all in there. Yeah, so those totally look like steak fries. So that's a Dutch thing, man, because I know in Belgium they're typically more shoestring, more like McDonald's fries. I think a lot of that is a process industrialization. I've always wanted to try out some of those machines, but I've just, like, you know, the home ones, the home press ones that you get on, like, you know, I can only get, like, two potatoes through before the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, you pretty much have to get the industrial ones that you mount on the wall. Yeah, there you go. I've always dreamed of having one of those, but I don't know. This is okay. I guess culturally or just growing up, potatoes are just not a thing that we had a lot of we used a lot of, um, but I always loved McDonald's French fries. Who and doesn't? I, <laughs> I mean, they really are spectacular. Yeah, they're <laughs> perfect. And I always loved mashed potatoes because we would have that for American Thanksgiving, and we get to, that was the only time we got to eat mashed potatoes with gravy and garlic. Going out to restaurants, getting to eat baked potatoes. The old loaded baked potato. I always loved that when I was a kid. Yeah. 
It was kind of the only way I really liked potatoes for a long time, except for, you know, French fries. And tater tots, obviously. Oh, tater tots. (laughs) Oh, tater tots. I actually made tater tots from scratch one time. And really, you know what I learned from the whole thing? Was that it's actually just better to go buy your tater tots from Orida. (laughs) <laughs> well, tater tots are kind of in another industrial process. They are. Right? Actually, it's like... I, from what I understand, that the actual uh, invention of tater tots was from the or, at the Orida factory, you know, where they're making their French fries and stuff. They have to pre-fry their French fries, and then they freeze them, right? But then they would wind up with all these, like, little tiny slivers of off-cut potatoes, and they were like, what do we do with these things? And eventually... They realized that if they also just went ahead and fried those with the, with the, the regular potatoes and took all the stuff that broke that they couldn't, you know, put in the bag and all the little tiny bits of already fried once fries and then mashed them all together shortly after they made them and froze them that way, then the tater tot was invented. Oh, my God. It was designed to minimize waste is where the tater tot came from. Those are some of my favorite kinds of food. Like spam. It's like the spam of potatoes. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to make these potatoes actually, like, you know, actually pretty big. Yeah, those, um, are, those are definitely not McDonald's size. Yeah, you, well, you know, part of the frying process is we're going to be exchanging all the water in there for crispiness and deliciousness. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, she, she, she heard you saying crispiness and deliciousness. Well, as we keep on frying it, it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So actually cut it pretty big. It's okay. It's okay to make them big. It, it's okay. okay to make it irregular. Part of, I think, part of the joy of eating these fries is having a different kind of French fry each time oh. and, and getting to have tiny, small ones and, you know, big, giant ones. So, um, you know, big ones are actually like things like this, like, yeah. you know, which is a full-on pinky size. Yeah, you know, you want a couple of those in there for sure, you yeah. know, nor- and really they're going to go fast. So just keep on cutting. <laughs> Keep on cutting in a party environment. So I actually asked you about this, um, and you said that you frequently do this, which is freeze the potatoes before you actually fry them. Oh, we're not going to do that today, right? No, we're not going to do that today. Actually, okay. it's it's actually a little little modified to that. Uh, what we do is we we pre we fry them you the know, first for, time, the first time, yeah. and then and then freeze them off. But because this is pretty much a wintertime thing, the Alaskan version is you just put them, you fry them, and then just sort of let them dry out outside on the porch. Ooh. And so that's, you know, we, we kind of get there, we still get to cool it off. What's the goal with the freezing? Um, I think it's actually mostly about cooling off the potatoes so that when you fry it again, it really keeps the center a little bit moister and fluffier mm. and gets the outside, like, really crispy. So that's, it's kind of a chance to just, you know, maintain that, like, inner potato core. All right. Um, have different kinds of textures in that fry. So normally we would just soak these overnight, but we're just gonna run them through warm water, which is kind of just cheating and get. Back in the day, uh, we would use whatever was the cheapest oil possible, and so we ended up using um, vegetable oil. But what you're supposed to use is peanut oil, and yeah. what we're using is Or space. lard. Or lard. I know, yeah. I should have brought you some lard. I've just <laughs> never, I just never tried that. I just haven't tried that yet. Um, and hot tip for all you Homer cooks out there, uh, the best thing to fry on at home is a wok. See, I have, I have said that consistently through the entire time that I've done this show, every time I fry. It's just the most versatile thing. Um, you They're can, awesome. You can use them for everything from sauteing and, and um, stir frying, of course. Uh, but you can also use them to deep fry things and also steam things, like yeah. in a bamboo basket. We use yeah. our wok for bamboo basket. And they get things going over here on my electric stove. I'm just gonna hit a seven, so a medium high. Uh, eventually we're gonna sort of settle out on a six, but just to get things hot. Do you do you temp your oil or do you just become one with it and know? I, um, I become one with it and know. <laughs> I, uh, 
I think about actually when I was first learning how to cook things, uh, I was I was a little kid living in Japan, and I would listen to Japanese cook shows. It was like kind of like the the genesis of things like Iron Chef. But yeah. on the radio, um, I would listen to, listen to Japanese cook shows, and they would always have the sounds of things like frying. Yeah. Um, and that's like that's like always what they emphasize on those shows. It's like you know to know the right temperatures of things, you have to listen to the sound. So yeah. we're gonna let this thing go. Um, you know, I'm looking at the pan right now, and it's full. It's about half full of peanut oil, and you know, in the shadows, you can see that the heat uh, is doing its thing. But we're gonna wait a little bit, and later on, I'm just gonna dash a, like a couple drops of like a little drops of water on there. And, mm -hmm wait for it to make the right sound. Yeah. So do yeah. you, uh, are, are we doing the first fry at a lower temperature than we're gonna do the second, or do you keep them about the same? Um, it's actually a struggle. When you're really making fries in a production environment, it's actually a struggle just to keep your, your yeah. oil at the at a hot temperature. Yeah, especially if you don't have a commercial fryer. I mean, that's yeah. why commercial fryers have so much oil in them. It's not because you necessarily need that amount of oil to fry this stuff. It's because when you're doing multiple batches, the oil, if you have more oil than you need, it comes back up to temp a lot. It holds its temp a lot better when you put your, when you cool it down by putting stuff in it. Yeah, there and we it go. Comes back a lot quicker. Ha! I did not know that. It, for me, I think it's just about we're, we're basically. I'm using a lot of. Then when we're actually going to cook the potatoes, I'm sort of using visual cues uh -huh. uh, to know like when it's time to get them out. All but right. Yeah. Now we're just kind of heating up the wok. You know, there are going to be other people that are out there also in electric ranges, you can cook with a wok on electric range. I just have a wok, a cast iron wok that has a flat bottom. Uh, those yeah. those exist, so you know, there's all kinds of options out there. I've always had a dream of having commercial style fryers and having access to, you know, big buckets of oil that I can really fry with. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe we'll do that in the future. But. <laughs> it's, it's a pain in the house because, like, how often do you really need uh, to use vast uh, quantities of oil? We use our mason jars and we just, you know, we just label them and use them if we have to. This is fresh uh, peanut oil. In the end, we end up just, you know, using fresh oil because who wants to use oil that's, uh, you know, that old, but yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like I always found, particularly like when the oil's fresh out, it actually doesn't quite fry as well as when you've used it a few times. You know, it like doesn't quite get as the nice color. Oh. I think. It's, yeah, like the, the very first time you use it, it's like a little bit harder to get to get the yes on. Yeah, pretty low. This is very full circle because we did have, in the very first episode, there was a whole thing about temperature of oil by, uh, by throwing water in there. Because that's how my mom taught me how to how to know when it was ready. You absolutely, know? yeah. We're gonna fry <laughs> eggs. That was my first first thing learning how to fry a sunny, egg sunny side up. And yeah. Yeah, uh, grandma taught me how to fry that. Yeah. Oil and pan. Yeah, and even though even though now I you know I almost always use thermometers because I'm just that kind of a nerd. I still I know how to do it this way. I'm sure I'll join you one day. <laughs> I'm sure I'll join you one day. I just need to. It is kind of a game changer. Is that a, like a candy thermometer? Uh, no, just a, an instant read digital thermometer. Oh. Yeah. Well, will a, will a IR thermometer work? Well, no, because okay. no, because you, you want well. Yeah, IRs are, they're okay for like when you're searing things to make sure like the bottom of your pan is hot enough, but they don't, they don't really get into things. So you need a, you need a probe thermometer. But nowadays they're cheap enough. They used to be like all of them that, that would read quickly were like a hundred dollars, but now you can get one for like 20 bucks. So what would be your target? What would be your frying target if you were, if I was to use a thermometer? I always range? did for the first fry, I always learned it as, as lower, like 300. And then the second fry would be more like 350, 375, something like that. Yeah, there we go. Even if you're using, one of the nice things about using lard is you can push it, you can push your temp a little higher. 
Also because lard's like highly saturated, it, it makes it easier to get like that really crisp sort of dry outside and it gives it a nice savory flavor. I've never tried. I've always seen the giant, the tubs of manteca in the, in the, in the store. And yeah, well the, the, the stuff you get at the store isn't that great because it's like, it's hydrogenated, which makes it shelf stable, but it also tends to give it kind of a little bit of an off flavor. Plus it's almost always really old. Um, unless you get it, like if you get it from like, you know, if you have like a, a, a Mexican grocery store or like, like I'm sure in Nusakaya, you can probably get quality lard um, <laughs> in the in the freezer section, at least. Because frozen, it keeps forever, pretty much. Well, but, in our in our saving more, you would be at that corner section right by the sugar and the flour, right? Yeah, that's but that's, yeah, but you can only get the, the armor or the, the sort of industrial stuff that's shelf stable, which you don't really want. It's better to get frozen than that stuff because it's just it's much more likely to be fresher tasting and, and not get like rancid flavors in it you know is there anything more exciting in the kitchen than waiting for oil to heat up <laughs> i mean to me maybe boiling water you know i guess right now i'm tapping into my inner marie kondo my inner oh. uh, marie kondo and uh it sparks joy for you I, the sound of frying things is just <laughs> one of my favorite sounds of all things so you know It is, it is nice too, you know, because now it's like smells like frying oil. It, it's always great until afterwards, like six hours later, and then you still smell like frying oil, only it's a little more rancid. Oh, no. <laughs> this is going to be pretty clean because we're just using just potatoes pretty much. It's when we start combining th you know, different kinds of meats, yeah. I think that it's going to get pretty good. But if you just stick to just like simple potatoes and vegetables, I think uh, you can keep it going for quite a while. Keep it pretty clean. I'll just drop one in here and see what happens. Uh -huh. I'm going to drain this water just out of this big pot just to reduce the splatter later on. Yeah, that's a that's a joyful sound. So what are you looking for in, your, in the first fry? When's your when's your tip that it's I'm time to pull them? I'm just looking out for them to get start getting just lightly golden on the outside. You just want to put a couple in at a time. I mean, you know, don't want to overdo it. And for instruments, um, I really like to use a slotted, a big slotted spoon. Uh -huh. It's the easiest thing. I also have a nice sort of uh, a basket kind of strainer that I can use. It's a, a metal one, uh, just to be able to get this stuff out of here. Because we're going to fry them a couple times, a big thing we need to prepare for is storage of the pre-fried. So I'm just using a you know bigger container. Uh, this is just another wok, and I'm lining it with paper towels. Another really good tool that's going to work. Uh, that I started using recently is just a set of tongs. Oil burns are no fun. Yeah, but after you do it for a while, then your fingers get tough, you know, tough <laughs> yeah. and numb. Have yeah. you seen that? Have you ever seen the like videos of like the street food vendors in like China who you know have done this for 20 years or something, and they're like almost putting their hand into the oil? I've seen a couple of videos. You know how they uh, do like it that? is they they put their their fingers in water first, cold water first, and it right? gives it it gives it like just long enough to be able to. Put your put your hand in there and <laughs> cooking with fire. I think I'd seen something. Yeah, I think street food is my favorite form of eating. Going through Asia and just looking at what looks good, what smells good, where people are lining up. I think those are all just find the most delicious thing. Here in this wok, I think another important thing we need to keep that's really easy to do when you're just starting out is to not overload the wok. That's kind of the limiting factor of a wok, right? Is that you, yeah. just, you don't have that much space. It's great because it concentrates the small amount of oil that you have, but just don't overload it. Make sure that there's enough room in there. Um, if you don't leave enough room in there. It overflows. Yeah, well, and it also, it just doesn't, uh, the potatoes come out a lot more soggy. But yeah, we're just gonna leave, 
put this handful of, of uh, potatoes in there and just let them. So is our main fry. goal. Our main goal right now is basically they're going to come out of here. They're going to be cooked pretty thoroughly all the way through, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, they'll be cooked all the way through. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I might be using the wrong term here. I always thought of this as uh, parboiling, but yeah. really we're just. I mean, in a lot of like in restaurants, you'll generally call it blanching. Oh, blanching. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we're just blanching these things um, in this hot oil. If we were, if I was doing like my full setup. I would be loading these up into uh, you know five gallon buckets, and mm -hmm. I would just stick these outside. I mean, we should put them in a control temperature, uh, control regulated uh, refrigerator. <laughs> if this is a real yeah, restaurant, DC doesn't DC doesn't like you just sticking things outside. Yeah, but you know, if this is Thanksgiving <laughs> and I'm making fries for a bunch of people, you know, we could the pork should be good enough uh, or Christmas time. It's it, that would even be ideal. Uh, any any ice porch cooled item yeah. is instantly better. Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of a bad weekend if we really want to cool it down on the porch because it's like 45 degrees outside yeah. right. Yeah, we're melting down the porch, but you know, but, you know, this is all right. This is all right. So what are you looking for when you know it's time to pull them out? Uh, I am just looking for them to start changing color on the outside. I'm looking for them to start, we're just going to talk through it, but you know, as they're, they're going to start drying out um, and the outsides are going to start changing color. Here, okay. here are some of these floaters. We have some floaters coming out to the side. They're all going to start floating to the top of the side. Right. Um, but we're just going to start looking for them to start changing up on their surface to start drying out. Ultimately, what we're trying to do through, through successive waves of frying is to just keep on building up a crust. We're just building up the crust. So this is the first part. We've pulled the starch off of there, uh, off of the potatoes, to give the oil some, let the oil penetrate as it fries in there. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to let it cool and keep on frying it until we build up our crust. Back at the fry shack, we would have multiple fry daddies going, and you just sort of keep on moving your fries from yeah. buckets to you know to fryers to buckets to fryers. After you've fried everything and after they're done, how long are these going to stay crispy? What's your optimal window? Right away. I mean, you know, uh, the people that get to eat the most fries are the people that are closest to the stove. <laughs> <laughs> so right away. But you know, they will stay delicious because of the amount of off. Uh, you know, oil and frying that we're about to do, they're going to yeah. stay delicious for a long time. The soggy ones will be delicious. Uh, what we've discovered over the years is that um, any leftover ones, just throwing them in the oven really quick, will we'll get them real crispy real fast. Um, once you've gone through at least two fryings, you have to at least do two. It's okay. the third one where things get really insane. Some places and some people single fry and it's just like, oh God. Well, that's what I was doing the first couple times I did it. And oh. I just didn't know. Yeah. I just didn't know. By the same token, if you just let it fry for a long, long time, it'll eventually the whole thing will turn into one very crispy chunk of potato. Yeah. And it's its its thing, but it's not a pomme frite. Look. No, it's you not. Know? It's definitely not the same. It's always a little like, it's just kind of overcooked, you know? Mm -hmm. But there actually is a way that, I, and I, I do do this sometimes when it's just me and my wife at home, is uh, if if you start from cold oil and you put your, your fries into cold oil and turn it on by the time it gets up to like 350 375 they're done and they're not as good as properly made double fries but they're pretty good uh we should try that sometime that i did awesome. i did actually do it on a on a on a show one time and I, I i tested it out and definitely the 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 double fries were superior but it wasn't by an outrageous amount you know it was definitely like worth the time savings if you're just, you know, come home and you're just like, I just really want, I really want some fries, but I don't feel like dealing with it. You know, the whole double frying and you don't want to go through the whole process. Like it did work well enough that you can get away with it. 
Look at this. This is uh, so got, potatoes are starting to transform Yeah, you got a couple here. that are pretty brown. Yeah, but we got some that here uh, that are actually kind of swelling up. You know, there's they, you can tell that there's kind of a skin there, and then yeah. it's kind of starting to you know bubble up the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's glorious to me. But we're just going to keep on going a little bit further. Um, I like this brown here, and really, my goal is to get them. Well, this is probably a little bit much, but you know, getting them all about just a little bit toasted, maybe yeah. level one, level two, on your toast scale. These are not peeled potatoes. Is that generally your process? Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe that's just uh, I, I rinse them, I guess, to get some, uh, but I don't peel them. Okay. Yeah, peeling. I just uh, I've never really understood peeling potatoes. <laughs> I think it's a French thing because yeah. they gotta have it, everything looking identical. Peeling potatoes. I always think of this one scene in Battleship Potemkin of uh, having to peel potatoes in a galley. It's like, why would I do that? Growing up in America, there was a kind of potato chip that had the potato skins on them. Mm -hmm. That was always my favorite one. <laughs> I don't remember the called, thing. Weren't they called potato skins? I think so. Yeah, like, I remember them. Yeah, they had like different flavors and it was just like, that's all it was, was like a skin. My, my actual ideal, if I ever get enormous amounts of money and I can just force snacks on people is, uh, is to, to open up a, a chicken skin. You know, just sell bags of fried chicken skin. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's wouldn't that like, be awesome? That's my favorite thing. Uh, you know, that's definitely how I judge my favorite fried chicken establishments is by oh, yeah. chicken skin. Oh yeah, uh, it's huge. Yeah, um, that's why I don't like I don't like batter too much batter on my fried chicken. You know, because it gets in the way of the skin. Mm. <laughs> well, you I mean you come from real fried chicken. I yeah, mean, that's part of your that's part of your blood, right? Right. It really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what kind of fried chicken is yours? Mine's a pretty classic, really basic southern fried chicken. Buttermilk brine and a little bit of, a little bit of flour on the outside, cause, which is why, like, I don't like battering my chicken because then it takes away, like, if you don't, you gotta air dry the skin for at least overnight. It's gotta be cooked, you know, brined in buttermilk and then you air dry the skin. And the air drying is really actually kind of a critical step. A critical thing. Because it gets, it gets you that, like, papery, really shattery, chicken skin, you know, that's got the little bubbles that crack and break and stuff like that. But it's also got that layer of fat underneath it, so it's kind of like juicy and crispy at the same time. You know, the batter chicken, the batter might be good, but it's almost always like the skin itself is always like kind of a little, a little blubbery, you know what I mean? I'm pretty particular about my chicken skin. Uh, the process that you talked about of drying the chicken is like really similar to like how you would make uh, uh, like a picking, a picking style right. duck would be the same thing. You have to, yeah. you have to dry yeah. the, the, the skin to get it crispy. So just before, you know, there's a couple in there that are uh, getting pretty golden. To me, this is just about right. They're just starting, just starting to cook. I don't really want them to cook that much more than this. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to pull this batch out right now. And so what I see is mostly the, you know, the white sides of the potatoes are getting, uh, are still there, but they are just starting to turn. Yeah, they got golden. a slight amount of color. And there's a couple there that have really started to go golden, and that's okay. Yeah, and you some know, of them have some. You know, they got the blisters on them. Yes. Where they've got the skin on the outside, and the waters and the steam is evaporating inside, but it can't escape. Yes, that is where it's going to get delicious. Yeah, I just try to drain as much of this oil as possible. I've totally eaten French fries from people who think that this is the acceptable end. Well, you know, and, and, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's still pretty special, but you're, you're, you know, you put this much effort in. There's so you can go so much further than this. Yeah, just looking at them, they're a lot, they're a lot thinner than like they're they're still big. Like if you first look at them, you'd be like, oh, steak fries. But then when you when you look at them on the side, they're they're much skinnier. 
They're flat, right? Yeah, I, which I is find them out. Which is what I, I much prefer that because I've steak fries are, are my second least favorite fried potato after uh, after JoJo's, and it's JoJo's. because they're JoJo's are terrible. Oh, they're great. <laughs> they're so good. Oh, you like them? I mean, you know, if you're at a grocery store and, and uh, I mean, yeah, this is talk about street food. This is this is American street food at the gas station, right? You could go know, cross but, country on JoJo's. I know, but I really don't like them because they because there's too much of the interior side. You know, there's too much of the interior boring part. And I feel that way about steak fries, too. And the, and the, and the seasoning is too universal. It's too consistent yeah. coast to coast. Yeah. Uh, there's, not enough, there's not enough regional variation. But hey, that's okay. It's part of, <laughs> part of being America is JoJo's and corn dogs. I mean, I think JoJo's are actually kind of a Pacific North, Northwest thing. I don't think they're... Because I never heard of them before I moved up here. You know, and Fred then Meyer. especially like driving up the Alcan, like they're everywhere. Fred Meyer's where yeah. I discovered them. Yeah, Every single true. gas station always has JoJo's. I never took it for granted, but yeah, maybe it was more of a West Coast I think, thing. I think it's a Pacific Northwest thing. Yeah, we've got that and poutine. I mean, yes, there's some good stuff on there. I did a whole show on poutine. Go for it. You know, part of, part of the deal is tasting the potatoes as you go and okay. seeing how they, how they are. It's a cooked potato. It's a cooked potato. There's like a sweetness and a saltiness. Mm-hmm. Um, the outside is dry. A it's little very, bit crispy. The interior is creamy, which is nice. And to me, there's that potato skin flavor. I actually like the potato skin I, flavor. I always, I love potato skins. Yeah. I always leave them on if I can. But Even in my mashed potatoes and stuff. All kinds of skin. Fish skin, I think in our family, we love, I mean, uh, we love fish skin. Salmon skin is our favorite, one of our favorite parts of the fish to eat. Oh, it's delicious. Crisp it, crisp it yeah, out. when it's crispy. Mm-hmm. It's not so much when it's like kind of soggy, but... <laughs> but that's how you know you did really good frying it or grilling it on the, on the yeah. foil, you know, is when it gets all crispy in its own fat. That's ultimate. We tried to uh, make my fries uh, after we got closed, after our first summer out here on the spit. We did try to go legit and do one uh, <laughs> in what later became uh, the Mermaid Cafe out on the harbor. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we were going to make uh, fries and rotisserie chickens. This is before Ooh. you know you could get standard rotisserie chickens at yeah, yeah, yeah. Save You More. Yeah, and they were like, oh, let's get a, a fryer and that'd have been awesome. Uh, yeah, another another wonderful well, business came in, in in town instead. The thing that would really kill out there is a uh, is a place for moule frites. What's that? Mussels and French fries. <gasps> yes, please. The national yes. dish of Belgium. Yeah, why don't we have that here? I mean, that's like my favorite thing. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, it's magnificent. Oh it's gosh. like. I mean, I could eat that for lunch every single day. <laughs> and be totally happy, but uh, for some reason, we, we just, we're just not there. The second couple, couple batches end up coming a lot faster as their temperature gets up. Now our oil in the wok looks a little bit like soda water. This is looking really good. It's always kind of captivating watching fryers. It's a little bit like watching fire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's not quite as like mesmerizing as fire, but it's it's up there. Frying things is one of my favorite. I love to fry things. Do you? It's like alchemy, turning something into gold. Turning something white into something brown. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, never thought about it like that. Uh, yeah, for sure, right? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to caramelize, caramelize everything. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah, just the process of turning something uh, into something delicious or, or turning something in your kitchen into something traveling halfway across the world to Amsterdam. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it's pretty rare when you get a chance to do a little bit of deeper frying. 
And so it's it's kind of a celebration. It's right up there, kind of with grill and steak. Hopefully, <laughs> and ideally, actually, this is you know the modern era. This is what we try. We do try to unify this with you know, steak free. Steak free, absolutely. I'm just keeping these potatoes kind of rafting up pretty loose, moving around a little bit with my spoon here. I can feel that they're getting pretty hard on the outside, or at least they're not soft anymore. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. So I'm not like super familiar with Dutch cuisine. What do they have outside of uh, uh, fries and waffles and speculoos? Oh my gosh. Well, I was just a, I was just a kid. I was just a kid uh, going to school. So I was just eating the cheap stuff on the street. Um, but yes, the waffle, the waffles. Uh, is uh, if anybody's ever you know hasn't had the chance to go do that, that's you know add that to your list. You know they uh, they'll have a hot plate and they will make you a fresh waffle and there's a little cauldron of caramel and they'll ladle one up on there and make you a little sandwich, a little waffle caramel sandwich. Stroop waffles, you can get those at Safety More now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, that's oh why that's why I knew about them. <laughs> you can also get speculus at Safety More. I, I think I think of Dutch food as being comfort food, uh, very comfort foody because I always you know I always think about the street food. So there's there's those uh, uh, I used to eat at automats, which are little places where you'd like pop a coin in, and there's like kind of like little lockers of food, and I'd eat little things like frikandel, which is like fried candle, fried sausages. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, different kinds of fried foods. A lot of late night stuff, a lot of ethnic foods. I lived in a Moroccan Turkish neighborhood, and oh, so okay. I would I would eat out at these places called Turkish pizzas, which were really just like giant, uh, almost like a burrito, huh. uh, like a kebab kind of. Yeah, yeah, not so much like a kebab, just like kind of like a big a big, big flatbread, like a big flat pizza, like okay. really thin, oh, like, okay, and then rolled up into a burrito shape and oh. you know handed to you like that, uh, with like little tiny bits of meat. But it's like it wasn't about the meat; it yeah. was just flavoring. So like that kind of food, I would just pick up stuff like along the you know markets along the way back home, and uh, but that was also uh, rotisserie chickens were also uh, really oh that's you know, popular in Holland huh yeah you know hmm. they had little tiny rotisserie chickens at least in like in the Moroccan neighborhood you get a little oh like, yeah a little well, tiny chicken that was you know where I think there were <laughs> twenty five guilders not sure what that is in American dollars anymore before the euros. Yeah, I was, you know, in a new country trying to make some new foods. I was trying to make fries, eating rotisserie chicken and making fries and um, learning how to cook in another language. Do you speak Dutch? Ik spreek aan een beetje Nederlands. Just the tidiest bit. But of course, everybody <laughs> over there speaks English anyway. I yeah. totally, you know, spent a lot of time with my Sony Walkman learning how to, talking to myself in New York City subways. <laughs> Oh, I'm just gonna let those cool off for a little bit. All right. Take a little, let's let these cool for a little bit. Take a little break. Cool. Oh. I would try to eat one, but they're, they're very hot. I'm just gonna move so You didn't seem very particular about the temperature when you, when you dropped these. Um, you know, the, the, potato, the oil was already pretty hot. Yeah. And I kind of knew that it was just ready to go. Okay. Um, you know, I think the temperature that I'm looking for is hot. I'm looking. I'm looking. Hot. Yeah, I'm looking for them to. I'm looking Very for them to. Very scientific. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I wish I could give you more than that. Uh, it's this is definitely a fry by feel, <laughs> a fry by feel. But 
Yes, too not hot enough, and for sure you were end up with some very soggy, soggy potatoes for sure. Yeah. On my dial, uh, on my cooking dial, I have it set to a seven right now. Uh huh. Um, Which is completely meaningless unless somebody is using the exact model stove that you are. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I would so what what? Yeah, I think you know that's that's uh that's medium medium high medium high for any for any universal stove. All right, let's give these a. Hmm. That's a solid French fry. Yeah, they're getting there. They're getting there, and like, yeah. And every time, every time you go through another cooling and refry process, they just something else happens uh -huh. in there. And I love, just love how this potato has like a sweet, uh, a sweet and a saltiness to it. The inside is still creamy. The outside is crunchy. Yeah, it's definitely a different texture than the russet um, on the inside, which is you know kind of fluffier. Oh, I have never tried. I don't think I've really tried the russets. And that's something we're going to do next time we get together to cook. Yeah, russet. I mean, russets are. We all know what the russet texture is because that's what McDonald's uses. Doesn't McDonald's also do a reconstituted fry though? Don't they? Don't they actually powderize all their fries and then reshape them into that shape? They do not. No. 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 Nope. Did not know this. No, but the freezing is a really critical step in their in their process because one of the things that happens when you freeze too, aside from uh, any other advantages that it might have. Is uh, the, when you when you freeze the, the the fry, it explodes the starch cells on the inside or the the starch molecules on the inside. It blows them apart mm. because the water as it as it uh, freezes, you know, it gets less dense and bigger. And so it any any little starch molecules that the water has attached to when the water freezes, it sort of blows them apart, and that's how they get that super fluffy interior texture. God, I love food science. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> that is, and so that's why cool. I don't know if you've ever if you've ever had this happen where you're making French fries uh, and and some of them come out like hollow on the inside. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a similar deal where usually the way the reason that happens is because you you fry them too hot on the second fry, so like the starch molecules actually get blasted apart from the steam, and they just turn into almost nothing because all the water that's also part of the the unity goes out, okay. it escapes as steam. Amazing, amazing what we can do with time and oil <coughs> heat. That's, uh, this is second fry, so yeah. this is how they should sound. And we still haven't salted yet because uh, we still have another fry to go. Mm -hmm. The potatoes are starting to get really deformed. What used to be really clean, almost like apple slices, are starting to curl up. Right. All these irregularities, that's all the crunch. <laughs> That's what we want. Yeah. Oh, look at that one blistering up right there. I'm gonna toss these things around a little bit, and we're gonna get ready for our third fry. All right. I'm excited. I've never, never seen this third fry business. <laughs> third fry is just get about getting at that last step of crispiness. Ideally, we'd get these cooled off again, but this is totally fine right here. Again, we're just not gonna crowd the potatoes. Because this is the batch we're going to end up salting. Brooklyn style would be salt, a little bit of paprika. Uh, that's because I used to live in the Polish part of town, and that's all we had. <laughs> I love paprika. Yeah. Love the color. It's an underrated spice. One of my favorite words, paprika. So this is, these are going in for, this is a really pretty short time. Yeah, you know, because these are pretty much hot potatoes that we pulled out, uh -huh. if I don't pull them out right now, they're actually just gonna kinda get a little bit overcooked. Too brown. Yeah. 
We're just giving them that extra fry, but we're not going to overdo it. We still want that inside to be a little bit. Okay, but they are all, pretty brown. I they're mean, all blistered. They look t terrific. Well, you know, we should go without the paprika a little bit. Enjoy. I mean, I'm happy to eat the paprika. Oh, yeah, so no, we should smaller just, one. Yeah. <laughs> Just try them without that a little bit. Mm. That's a delicious French fry. Right, the inside is almost like a liquid. Yeah. <laughs> but there's the salt that's been absorbed into it, and then there's the salt we just tossed on there. I just used, again, some sea salt. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of anything, but the flake could have crunchier. And you got to, you're really tossing. You're really tossing the fries and the salt. Substantial. It's not soggy. Like, this is a pretty long one with a... And I'm, I'm holding it way at the, it's heavy at one end, and then like no sag, no, uh, no droop. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's a total finger-sized piece right there. But the inside. Yeah, the inside's terrific. It's, it's really, really creamy. Mm. That's an Alaskan potato right there. Alaskan potato with a Brooklyn recipe. Oh, yeah, I got one that's a little, little chip. Oh, yeah. See, I love the variety in there. That's what you miss out sometimes on the... Well, it's true with the industrial fries, you don't get the, the, the different varying textures. Mm -hmm. We don't pay enough attention to food texture in, in this country, I think. Oh, I guess I've just slowly started. You, I think you're right. I think I've only slowly in the, in the modern food cooking, Netflix streaming food show era, I've started paying attention to the textures that people are talking about. But yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, something like this, where we're really just appreciating a single ingredient, mm -hmm. right? and we're really just transforming it through the process of frying it over and over again. I mean, you know, I, I don't know the science of all this, I know, but there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of transformations happening in this, in this sound. I just want you to hear this again. Oh, beauty. Something to share with your friends. Mm. It's a good fry. Thank you. Yeah, I totally should have brought some muscles. <sighs> well, you know, this is the, this, we can combine our powers anytime to make this and, uh, Mon frit or steak frit. Fish and chips. Wow. Although the classic English fish and chip, they always, the, the fries are always not very good because they almost always just single fry them. Oh. They tend to be pretty mediocre. It's okay. That can be easily remedied by sticking those back in the fridge <laughs> and then popping them right back out there again. I mean, really, this is, the, uh, this is a great second to any, any uh, Alaskan homework cuisine, whether it's your halibut fish and chips or your salmon fish and chips or your uh, steak frites or moose frites. Looking forward to getting mussels again over the summer. I know. All right, well, that is some triple fried fries. <laughs> you just like that sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would eat these with ketchup, but I, I, I real would... Dutch purists and, and real Dutch purists will have another sauce. Another really great shortcut that we have found here in Homer in the Asian section is uh, uh, QP mayonnaise. Any kind of mayonnaise. It's the work. Japanese mayonnaise with the MSG. That's the secret weapon. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I was contemplating being really ambitious and like making some different mayonnaises to try, but we'll do that together another time. I'm sort of lazy. Thanks for uh, beaut. Thanks for making helping me to make these things. Sweet. I mean, ketchup is <laughs> like the only thing that I really like ketchup on is French fries. Oh. I hate it on everything else. With these kinds I am of fries, kind of, I am kind of a mayonnaise partisan. With these when kinds it comes of to fries, fries too. I think the ketchup is amazing, or the mayonnaise is amazing. I think it's terrific. It's like a really. I love mayonnaise on, on fries, fries like this. Even even the oven, the, yeah, even the frozen ones are really good with the mayonnaise. Actually, I think tater tots are better with ketchup. 
And it's funny, you know, I actually will say too about ketchup. I know like a lot of places, particularly places that really make a big deal about making things in house, like they'll make their own ketchup. <laughs> it's not as good. I, I think it's again, it's, it's kind of like making your own Fritos. I mean, I appreciate yeah. the homage and it's really important, I think, for every chef to like go to their favorite things like that. But yeah. Don't realize that ketchup. Heinz is already doing it better than you can. Yeah, Heinz is amazing. Heinz is, I mean, yeah, Heinz is amazing stuff. They have the pull to make special tomatoes that they don't have to add much to, you know? We're gonna have to learn a little bit more about ketchup. Ketchup is one of my favorite things. I've always enjoyed <laughs> eating ketchup with rice, uh, with anything, really. When I was in uh, kindergarten, I went to kindergarten in Oklahoma, and, uh, and every morning before classes started, the whole school, there was like an assembly. And uh, one of the things that happened during the assembly is one of the students would come up and read the menu for that day. I got picked one day, and I, you know, when I was in kindergarten to be the menu, it was kind of a big deal. You know, you get up in front of the whole school and read whatever's going to be in the cafeteria that day. And so I was just, I was literally, I was just reading off the, off the sheet that they gave me. And what they put on the sheet was ketchup, you know, not ketchup. And so I said ketchup. ketchup. And for like the rest of the week, wherever I went, in the elementary school, people were like, look, it's the ketchup kid who doesn't say ketchup. Ugh, children. And so I have this like weird thing about, uh, about ketchup Ket now. Ketchup. <laughs> like you have to go up and physically stand on stage in front of everybody. And when, immediately when I said ketchup, they all started laughing, you know? After that, I became the ketchup kid. Look, it's the ketchup kid. Let's make some ketchup. Which is kind of a cool, uh, I should become an outlaw because that's kind of a good outlaw name. Yeah, I think it's like once I have all this stuff in, I'm just keep on trying to fry more. <laughs> like just that's the thing about fryers is that once you get them going, you're just like, what else can I throw I'm in gonna, here? I just well, I'm gonna definitely finish the rest of the potatoes. That's the nice thing about Thanksgiving. If you do fried turkeys, is because now you have this pool thing of hot oil, and now you're like, what else can go in here? Uh -huh. Stuffing deep fried stuffing balls. Why have I never they tried said, it? <laughs> one year, because the first year we just kind of made it because we had some stuffing and we were like, I bet this would be good if we threw it in there, right? And it was, it was delicious. But then the next year when I had some time to plan, I made some gravy ahead of time and I froze it and I put the, the little frozen chunk of, of ice cube gravy inside the stuffing ball. Oh my God. Then I rolled the outside in, in, uh, in the three-part batter, you know, with panko and stuff on the outside and we dropped it in. <laughs> so they came out and then when you cut into the stuffing ball, the gravy inside, just oozed out. Just exploded out on you? It just, no, 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 it just, it just gently oozed all Ooh. over the stuff. It was delicious. Oh my gosh. It was fantastic. Wow, that cooking with an ice cube thing, I thought that was a, just a Chinese trick for making special kinds of dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it could be used on a, on a cheese curd, American-style dumpling. Yeah, we do something, I guess the Asian version th dish I'm thinking about is a, a xiaolong pao, which is soup dumplings. Uh, uh -huh. Shanghai soup dumplings. Okay. And so that they make they make the the broth in a in one of those as well. And so they make their dumpling then with the ice cube of soup and they steam that. And when you get it out, you actually have like a dumpling full of soup. And so it's like you actually suck out the soup. Nice. It's like this whole I mean, texture cool. experience kind of happy. Thanks for making French fries for me. Yeah man, I'm so happy to be able to make fries for you. It's like uh one of my yeah, thanks for giving me this opportunity to make you fries. It's one of my favorite things to share with people. I guess I, I guess I shouldn't be too harsh on potatoes because I do eat a lot of them and I like them. 
Oh, every time I have a potato, it's it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I love. I, I can't think of any kind of form of potatoes I've not. Yeah, JoJo's. Um, I think they're all good. Crinkle cut. I hate crinkle cut fries. <laughs> uh waffle fries. Waffle fries are awesome. Waffle fries, curly fries, tater tots, tater. and the various, you know, non-steak fry fries. I'm fine with. <laughs> I like. I don't like crinkle cuts for some reason. They never seem to be very good. Well, they're pretty, they're standard. They're always standard. And if they're, if that's not the standard that you like, like a tater tot, then it's, it's always gonna be. I guess that's true. Yeah. They just never seem like they're really. Tater tots for me though, that's like, if, I mean, I'm, I'm so amazed that you try to make your own, but yeah, I, I love, <laughs> I love tater tots. I mean, I tater like, tots are basically like the ideal way to eat a potato. It's one of my favorite things in American school. <laughs> tater tots for lunch. Totally. <laughs> it's like. I don't know that we've said everything there is to say about French fries. I don't think you ever can say everything there is to say about French fries. Because we didn't freeze them. We did know? it. We could have got like super scientific with like multiple different ways of preparing it. The, co the chemistry of what's happening mm -hmm. when we de-starch potato. And, yeah. and for sure those are all explorations that we're going to have to encounter every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. Just try to always make it better. That's right. <laughs> Never stop improving. <laughs> And, never, uh, never stop failing, never stop getting better. I know uh, 20, 30, 40 years from now, I look forward to uh, being able to fry things with my friends all the time. Why do you have to wait that long? Mm. Just want to, you know, make sure I keep the standards, <laughs> manage my expectations for the future. <laughs> uh, well, everybody's got to have a dish. Yep. See, unfortunately, you know, I can't just make one thing at parties, you know, like I got to... And I can't make the same thing every time. I always have to make something different. Otherwise, people are like, oh, you didn't me. You know, there's a couple of things that you make that are like the standard things, like your juniper sausage. It's okay to have, you know, if you find one thing that works, to stick with it. I think that's okay, too. But yeah, you are you are true chef. Not anymore. Now I'm just a dude. <laughs> just a dude eating some french fries. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. Today's guest was Kevin Coe. The theme music is String Quartet, Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Kotowar Ebane. This is the last episode of the last season of Check the Pantry. Support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101.
Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI Public Radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this. Thank you. 